You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalma Brocha. Rabbi Michael Broyd has been responding in writing to a number of articles that have appeared in the Jewish press. The first one was by Ben Shapiro. He responded. Then uh, Rabbi Stephen Prasansky responded to what Rabbi Broyd wrote. Uh, Rabbi Broyd responded to him. Avi Goldstein responded to what Rabbi Broyd wrote. Rabbi Broyd is being responded to him. Uh, as is the nature of uh, Jewish press or any sort of magazine or newspaper articles, uh, the full thrust of the idea and what is behind the thinking of the person doesn't always come to light, especially if what is really involved is a essential halachic approach. Now, without commenting whether I agree with what Rabbi Broyd is saying in terms of his overall points, in terms of his general perspective, I wanted to give Rabbi Broyd the the platform to be able to present his ideas in a more fuller way. Now, he wrote an article in uh, the uh, magazine Tikkun Olam, Social Responsibility in Jewish Thought and Law, uh, printed by Jason Arison in 1997. Uh, It's replicated essentially in J-Law, where he speaks about the obligation of Jews to seek observance of no-chai laws by Gentiles, a theoretical review. Uh, the ideas contained in that article are, is really what uh, permeates and propels much of what you're going to hear from Rabbi Broyd presently. Uh, I should also point out that during Rabbi Broyd's shear, uh, when he speaks about the LGBTQ community and what is being asked in terms of accommodation vis-a-vis that community, Rabbi Broyd uh, refers to only the lesbian and gay aspect. Um, There is a reason why he didn't want to speak about trans. He feels that that is something uh, for another time. There's certain complexities which he t- spoke to me about off pod, which I, I, I feel he's justified in, in dealing with it uh, in a completely different manner. So here is Rabbi Broid without any uh, comment from ourselves in terms of yay or nay. I'll let you uh, decide. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk to a halachic audience about halachic issues rather than a political audience about political issues. To me, um, there are two different issues running here, the second of which is political, but the most important of which really is an undergirded halachic issue that's easy to ignore, which is what is the obligation of religious Jews or of Jews to force or encourage, or facilitate non-Jews observing the Sheva Mitzvah. If we're under an obligation to compel observance of the Sheva Mitzvah, or even an important Mitzvah duty to facilitate observance of the Sheva Mitzvah, then the decision not to do so is essentially an Avera, and should only be done in those small, narrow, duress situations where an Avera is permissible. If, on the other hand, there is no real obligation to coerce non-Jews to be better people, 
and it's not even really encouraged, then the decision to get involved in making our secular society better from our discretion is much more discretionary and much less obligatory. And the thrust of this cheer really is that this is a central dispute between the giants in the era of the Rishonim with the Rambam in one direction and almost everybody else in the other camp. The Rambam is clear. The Rambam is clear in Hilchos Balachim and in other places that whenever Jews have an opportunity to encourage, facilitate, or even direct observance of the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noah, that is an obligation that's incumbent on us. We are obligated um, to help the non-Jews observe the Sheva Mitzvah. When we can, we should coerce them. When we can't, we should facilitate them, and we should always encourage them. The Rambam is absolutely clear in the end of Hilchus Malachim about this obligation, and he doesn't mince any words about it. Against this Rambam, really against this Rambam, stands first right on the page of the Rambam derived, and then more implicitly. Um, the overwhelming majority of rezoning who opine on this topic in the rules relating to Helchos Avadim opine that um, there is no real obligation upon Jews to coerce or even to encourage non-Jews to observe whichever message. The most you get is you get that when we are asked about the Sheva Mitzvah by a non-Jew, we are under a duty to answer honestly and correctly. But if you ask Tosin or the Rajan or the Rashba, um, should we expend our resources running a billboard campaign to encourage the Sheva Mitzvah, the answers that they seem to advance is no. There's no real obligation to encourage a non-Jew to be better. The Mitzvah Yehudi in the formulation of the Shach in Kuf Nun Aleph in Yoridea is a unique relationship between Jews. It's like, or a manifestation of, the Ahafta the Recha Kamoka. The mitzvah, when I see a Jew sinning, to stop and to do my best to stop him from sinning, to encourage him not to sin, to encourage him to return to the ways of righteousness, and to return to being a halachic person, if you'll excuse me, the mitzvah of Kiwi is a manifestation of the special relationship Jews have with each other, grounded in a collection of mitzvot 
each of which uses the word achecha or reyecha. From on the ahasta, the reyecha from Ofa, and onward. In many different settings, Alasa mandates that a Jew who sees another Jew in need or in trouble, or who's gone astray emotionally, physically, or religiously, that you do what you can to return the Jew to the path of Torah and Muslim. Of course, even among Jews, you're not obligated to flail around pointlessly. So we don't stand in the middle of the street screaming out Shabbat, Shabbat, at passing cars, even when most of the drivers are Jewish, because it doesn't persuade anybody, and it doesn't make people more religious. But each and every Jew bears a duty to each and every other Jew to do their best to make sure Jews stay on the right and narrow path. And if they've left the right and narrow path, to return them to that path when you can. And certainly you're under an obligation um, not to entice a Jew to sin. And you're certainly under an obligation not to facilitate a Jew from sinning when absent your facilitation, the Jew will be incapable of sinning. I know that there are many practical discussions about with Neiver in the workplace, and this is not the time to deal with with Neiver among Jews, other than to note that Hazal thought that one of the ways you manifest your love for a religious Jew for a secular Jew is to try to persuade him to return to the path of justice. Tosus and the Rived and the Ramban and many more note that this is not uh, our relationship with the non-Jewish world around us. Our relationship with the non-Jewish world around us is predicated on greater distinction. And as the Rived notes in his commentary on the Rambam, in Vav Aleph and Surabia, in many other places, and in Nokosmalachim, chapter 10, um, a Jew is not under an obligation to persuade a non Jew to stop sinning. As the Ramban puts it, and Tosus puts it even more strongly, um, we are simply not under that kind of an obligation. There is no mitzvah, lahafri, eno yehudi, meyadeira. There is no such mitzvah. Indeed, the shah in Kufnun Avot, um, stops to discuss even whether there's an obligation to separate a Jew who willfully sinned from sinning. And the famous Dagul Meirubhava that's commenting on the shock is even clearer that a Jew who's willfully sinning doesn't need to be separated from sin. But it's clear from the formulation of the Dagul Meirubhava of the Nodes of Yehuda, writing in his commentary on, on the Shulchan Aruch, that for a Jew, two ideas are in play. 
One idea, isn't it certain? We all know that a Jew, even if he's willfully sinning, it's still a Jew. And what the note of Yehuda means by that is maybe the status of a Jew who's a willful sinner is still better than an non-Jew. It's still better than an non-Jew. But what flows from the note of Yehuda and the Shah is the following idea. When it comes to a non-Jew, when I see a non-Jew sinner, I'm under no obligation to seek to persuade this non-Jew to stop sinning. Now, of course, the Maram Shik's observation weighs heavily on it. The Maram Shik observed, what I tell people is a basic truth. The Maram Shik in Chuva 144 says, don't be ridiculous. That which ails the non-Jewish society eventually will come to ail the Jewish society. And we need to get involved in the world around us because the sooner we get involved to fix the problem, the more likely we are to fix the problem. Sin is sometimes like a fire. And that when my non-Jewish neighbor's house starts to burn down, I go to help him put out the fire not only because I like him, but because when the fire burns through his house, it will lay onto my roof and my house will burn down as well. The Maram Sheikh's point is very real. Um, we, particularly us modern or even Haredi modern or even Haredi Dati Lumi, whatever we want to call them, we live in an integrated modern world. We're not living in New Square and we're not living in the ghetto in Krakow. We live in the general world and what, in, what, what undermines morality in the general world undermines morality in the Jewish world as well. So we do need to get involved. And the reason why we need to get involved isn't because we need to separate non-Jews from sin. It's because it's prudent to get involved when your neighbor suffers from an illness and not wait until the illness comes into your own home. The sooner you get involved, the easier it will be to combat the illness. I don't doubt that that's true. Not at all. Um, but it's important to understand, as a Torah personality, we distinguish between ideas that are prudent and ideas that are mitzvah. Prudent ideas are not followed when, in their specific application, they're not prudent. Mitzvahs are done because they are a mitzvah independent of whether or not they are in their application right here and now prudent. Exempting yourself from a mitzvah because it isn't prudent is a much longer, harder conversation than exempting yourself from something that the rabbi felt was prudent to do, but which isn't actually prudent to do in this situation. This allows us to understand 
why I've spoken so intensely about two issues pressing in America. One is abortion, and the other is civil rights, civil rights centers. Um, in the context of abortion, it's fairly clear that abortion is in some times in some places profoundly prohibited to non-Jews. And in those exact same situations, halacha might very well permit, and some post you might even encourage an abortion. Rabbi Herschel Schachter of Yeshiva University, one of the leading halachic authorities in our time, um, is on is clearly on the record supporting um, or even going further, encouraging abortion in situations in which um, there is a serious defect in the child um, that, um, that will negatively impact the parent. I'll read it to you. It's worth understanding. When people ask me this Shiloh, Rabbi Shechter says, about abortion, I tell them that Khalila, if it would be one of my children, a child with a birth defect is what he's talking about, I would recommend that they follow the Kula opinion. It, by which he means having a seriously chronically ill child who will, will require an inordinate amount of special care can ruin your life. I know Chaverim of mine. I know students of students of mine whose wife had sick children and it ruined their marriage. Some of them got divorced. They couldn't function with a sick child. Some of them didn't get divorced, but their marriage was destroyed. If you have a sick child like that, it can destroy your life. It's quite enough riots to say Lahachmir in these situations. When people ask me this Shaila, it is a very serious Shaila. But there certainly is room to be making. It says Eliezer says this is only permissible in the first trimester. I don't say that. I don't understand why it should be only the first trimester. I think like the Torah Chesed, everything is based on the Torah Chesed. The Torah Chesed says that up until the Yashev Alamishbar, until the birth process, up until the beginning of the ninth month, even the Rambam would agree that there's only an Iser Chavala. And an Iser Chavala in the place of Tikkun Hagu, in the place of um, curing oneself, this is Michael Breuer translating those words, in the case where it's in the best interest of the mother to maintain her health, it is mutter for the mother to do this abortion. Similar such sentiments are voiced, not quite exactly the same way, by Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein. And yet these abortions might very well be categorically prohibited for non-Jews. Formulating a secular abortion is very complicated. If we want to encourage non-Jews to fully obey the breath and death of the Sheva Mitzvah, we have no choice but to do that by restricting our own rights under halakha. And I don't think halacha requires in any way, shape, or form that we do that. Since there is no mitzvah, no duty, no obligation, to separate a non-Jew from sin, when it comes to doing something that's costly, 
the religious Jews in Japan on that cause, rather than bite the bullet and suffer for ourselves. Another example of that, which is even more complicated, is supporting the rights of discrimination against people who are gay. In the United States, in the last 20 years, it's become clear that the government has expanded civil rights to include the LGBTQ community being LGBTQ, or at least the G of the LGBTQ is unquestionably a Torah prohibition, and certainly the L L part is also a rabbinic violation. Yet, I'm very much opposed to allowing discrimination against members uh, of the gay or lesbian community. And when you ask me why, it's not because their conduct is permitted as a matter of Jewish law. It's because I worry that allowing the Christian community to codify discrimination based on private morality is ultimately a bullet that will hurt us in the rebound. Bullets not only kill directly, but they kill on the rebound. And that when we say to somebody, if your religious principles allow you to run a for-profit wedding hall, but you're going to be allowed to discriminate against gay weddings, I worry very much that that opens the door to discrimination against Jewish weddings. I worry that in general, exempting people from the discrimination laws because their faith wants them to discriminate will allow people mightily and profoundly to discriminate against us. Now, all of this is intellectually predicated on my view that we're under no obligation to instruct non-Jews how to enforce the Noachide law. The intellectual predicate is halachic. It says we're under no obligation and thus we don't have to leave the charge encouraging our secular society um, to discriminate when that discrimination is harmful to us. Or maybe that discrimination could be harmful to us. It's hard to accept that if we allow genuine exemptions from the discrimination laws grounded in a commercial player's religious view, that that won't ultimately come to harm us as well. Now, of course, I recognize, as American law does, that our religious institutions ought to be allowed to discriminate. But I worry very much that if we allow housing discrimination based on the L or the G status, that will come to allow housing discrimination based on Jewish status as well, because allowing good faith exceptions to Title VII will ultimately redound very much to our discredit. I've always drawn comfort, to my view, from the basic views that Rabbi Moshe Feinstein put forward in many different settings. In a variety of different settings, Rav Moshe put forward the following idea. What we want from the American government is not 
that the American government should call right from wrong. What we want from the American government is that the government should allow us to practice our faith as we see fit. And what Rav Moshe doesn't say, but what he means by implication is everybody should be given those same rights. In Darosh Darash Moshe, the safer of Drushers, he says this explicitly. But even if you're not inclined to learn halacha from a safer of Drushers, he says it more explicitly in the most recent volume of Igris Moshe in a letter to Aguda about brain death policy, policy, where he preaches for a strategy of accommodation rather than a strategy of enforcing halacha directly as one sees fit. This idea that we as a community gain not from a strategy of enforcing our norms. Because if we say to people, we are going to enforce our norms in order to coerce people to do things properly, we lose any ability to defend ourselves when others seek to coerce us to follow their norms. Rabbi Feinstein's comment in the, the Rosh Sharash Moshe resonates with me as deeply true. What we want from the government of the United States is um, not that um, everything should be done kehalacha, but what we want from the government of the United States is um, that our secular society should prevent the big fish from following the little fish in the formulation of Pirkei Avot, and not that the government should seek to do everything exactly according to Halakha or according to the Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noah. Secular government that enforce morality never enforce morality directly consistent with Halakha. Inevitably, they come to enforce um, their version of morality somehow in tension with this or that aspect of halakha. It's a very interesting idea. At some level, we very much support the idea that non-Jews should keep Shabbat. And yet, I don't think we, not to halakha, but have a day of rest that acknowledges that God created the world. But yet, I don't think we support the blue laws in the United States. We've learned through experience that when the non-Jews support a day of rest, it's oppressive to us because they inevitably pick Sunday and not Shabbat. And then we have a situation of blue laws in which Jews are forced not to work on Shabbat because they're Shomer Shabbat and not to work on Sunday because of the blue laws. And these become oppressive societies that being Shomer Shabbat um, become more and more difficult. Um, it's not the job of the secular government to determine right from wrong on a moral level. It's just to prevent might from making right. So although both the L and the G in LGBTQ 
violate halacha. I don't want to use the organs of government to dissuade people from a private religious sin. Even if it's a sin against Noahide law, because using secular government to enforce private morality is inevitably something that redounds to our discredit in the long run as Orthodox Jews. And other than the Rambam, no halachic authorities think it's a mitzvah or obligatory. The overwhelming consensus of Rishonim, and particularly Rishonim Ashkenaz, Tosfus, Rashba, Ramban, Rashi, the Rashba, all of these giants are of the view that there's no mitzvah lahafrit enu Yehudi me'isla. And thus, I don't want to put myself in a sticky situation in which I'm separating a non-Jew from sin and in return, the non-Jew thinks he should do me the favor of separating me from sin, and the sin that he thinks I'm doing is being Jewish. That's the dilemma we're in. That's what motivates me um, to favor a policy of accommodation and not using the organs of government to coerce people um, to lead morally proper Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.